The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, June 9th again. Like I said last episode, <laughs> we're making a little backlog so Olivia can enjoy her trip without <laughs> having to be a podcasting superstar. So it's only 10 o'clock here in the morning and it's already been a day. <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I know. It's crazy. Like we usually, like we usually just get on and do our episodes and it usually runs pretty smoothly. But like I had it while we were recording the last one, a bird slammed into the the window of my house which has never ever happened before I'm like what is going on today it's crazy yeah and then we we're just like we we're having internet issues so of course on the day where we're like all right we're already gonna be recording for like three four hours let's just like be snappy the world is like no the fuck you're not <laughs> so i guess we have nothing new to say anyway because it's still the same weekend <laughs> well still the same weather <laughs> yeah same weather it's just a little darker out now um since this is the same day um, just to to loosen us up and loosen you guys up, <laughs> we can answer <laughs> a random question. And I think the best random question is: if you could only eat one fast food for the rest of your life, like one place, what would it be? I already know mine. Mine. There's a there's a Mexican fra- like t- uh, fast food franchise here called called Guzmani Gomez. G Y G. Oh my god! Oh, I do always hear you guys talk about that. <gasps> yes, it is so delicious. Like their nachos are next level. I mm. I try and not eat them too much because I've looked up <laughs> the nutritionist <laughs> and it is like a whole day's worth of calories. But my goodness, they are just oh, my mouth's watering thinking about it now. I love and ev- like ev- everyone in my family loves. Like, you know, sometimes they'll be like, I don't like KFC. I don't like this. Yeah. But everyone in my family loves it. And we all were like, yeah, it's just delicious. And they also do frozen margaritas there. <laughs> oh, love that. So I would absolutely pick there. I think I would pick. It's hard. There's a lot of great choices, a lot of great contenders. Like, I, I love a good fast food situation. But I think I'd have to just go with good old fucking McDonald's because mm. I love McDonald's. It's so lame and basic, but those French fries, chef's kiss, so good. Do you know my favorite at McDonald's is a double cheeseburger. I love That's what them. I always get. Whenever yeah. I'm like feeling really poor and shitty and I'm just like in a rush on my break at work because I'm near McDonald's, I always get – we have like this like less than $4 bundle and it's a double cheeseburger and small fries and then I guess small Coke and that's like my little yeah. fast food treat. <laughs> Yum, I love that. I like I I also like a quarter pounder, but I feel like I have it's maybe them maybe once or twice a year because I feel like the bread to meat ratio isn't great, whereas the bread to meat ratio <laughs> on a double cheeseburger is amazing. Yum. Yeah. I also I do love Taco Bell too though. There's a lot of good, we don't have Taco Bell good ones. No Taco Bell here. Well, oh, I think there is actually. It. There's like maybe like three in the whole country. There's definitely not one near me. So, but like McDonald's also just like has like all different things too. So it's like if you want ice cream, if you want French fries, if you want chicken nuggets, it's you can um, have it all. Kind of not really cinnamon Dairy rolls. <laughs> on the you know in the last the episode about Mariah and Caitlin, we met, spoke about the maple creamies. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Someone mm-hmm. messaged. After they listen, they're like, you guys need to have one. She said they're so good in a waffle cream. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, that actually sounds so delicious. I go, <laughs> I to, definitely eat that. I go to Vermont like at least once a year. I don't know if you get them in Massachusetts. 
it's like closer to me, but I do go to Vermont at least once a year. And I'm definitely going to do it this year. I don't go usually oh till God. November. So hopefully they still serve ice cream there in the winter, I'm assuming, because it's always yeah. winter. I'm really But I will now. definitely <laughs> – I know. It was, this was a mistake. But when I go to Vermont in November, I'm assuming we'll have a podcast still. So I'll update everyone then. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right. So enough silliness. This episode, it's going to be a little different than the norm. It's not going to be like a full scripted story. It's going to be a little more conversational because we're going to do a mid-year update of like all the cases we've ever talked about, at least the ones that have semi-significant updates. We're just going to go through them all, read the quick updates, have little chats about them. Some people will probably, I think you'll all enjoy it, but it just always makes you think about people are like, this show is scripted. It's like, uh, yeah, no shit. No, it's not. <laughs> well, today's your day, people. <laughs> and I like, I, I only listen to crime podcasts, other, other crime podcasts, really. So I like, I, you know, I feel like one or two update episodes a year is really interesting because you, you know, you may have forgotten about some of these cases, um, and it's always interesting to hear if there has been a resolution or if, in many cases, there's still no resolution. So, yeah. um, if when we kind of researched this episode, we literally started from our very first episode, which um, is Evelyn Boswell's case, and we kind of went in chronological order. So, if you are wondering um, why we don't mention a case, it's because there hasn't been an update. Some, you know, we did used to do probably a few more older cases, um, whereas now most of our stuff is a little bit more current. Um, so if you're wondering why, um, we're not mentioning it either, there's no update or in the cases of really big cases like Lori Vallow, the Murdochs, um, you know, there'll probably be a few other bigger ones that are going to need their whole entire episode. So we won't speak about the really, really big updates either. These are just the cases that have had a few things happening over the past six months. Yeah. So we're going to start with Evelyn Boswell. No updates. Easy start. (laughs) By no updates, I mean... We're still waiting for the trial, keeps getting pushed back. Megan Boswell's still in jail waiting to go to trial. So nothing new has happened. Um, so the next one is the case of Gannon Stark, which was a really big one for us. Gannon was an 11-year-old boy who was allegedly, allegedly murdered in January 2020 by his stepmother, Letitia Stark. We now know the 11-year-old El Paso County boy, allegedly murdered by his stepmother, was killed with multiple weapons. A pretrial hearing today revealed those difficult details as we continue covering the search for justice for Gannon Stauk. The Lorson Ranch fifth grader disappeared last January. Caradio News Channel 13, Sydney Stell, joins us live outside the courtroom with everything she learned in that courthouse today. Sydney. Well, I do want to warn you that a lot of these details I'm about to share with you are pretty hard to hear. But today we learned that Gannon was shot, stabbed, and had his skull fractured before he was found under a bridge in Florida weeks after he vanished. Before today, it was a mystery how his body got from Colorado all the way to Florida. But today we learned that through car data, cell phone tracking, credit card receipts, and surveillance footage, police are pretty confident that Letitia rented a cargo van less than a week after Gannon was reported missing and drove down to Florida. She wasn't alone either. She went with her 17-year-old daughter. The two stayed roughly three miles from where Gannon's body would be found weeks later in a suitcase dumped over the side of a bridge. His level of decomposition pointed to the fact that he had likely been in that suitcase for at least a month. 
T's trial has been delayed again. Like some of these, you know, I know I always feel like I always speak about how some things happen really quickly. This is absolutely not one that's happening quickly. No. In April 2022, she entered a new plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, The state hospital that is responsible for evaluating her told the court they believed they could have her evaluation completed by the end of May. And kind of luckily for us, her most recent court appearance was actually held today. Um, There's an article that's been published by krdo.com. It says attorneys at the El Paso County Courthouse indicated that another delay may push T's trial to 2023. Um, And it says, I know, it says after a series of legal delays, Gannon's family will face yet another month's long delay. She pled guilty. She's now waiting to be fully evaluated. So they clearly didn't have their evaluation ready by the end of May. But yeah, the court judge Gregory Werner spoke in court today and he said, I was hoping that would be much further along at this point, but there isn't anything I can do about this. It says that her tentative trial date was set for October, but in court today, they said it was highly likely that at least one of the legal teams would be dissatisfied with the mental health evaluation. A second evaluation, which is highly likely, will push the trial to 2023. So I think we're in for a long wait with that case. Next, we've got Kara Kapetsky and Jessica Runyon's. Uh, there's no new info with that. I don't think there'll probably ever really be much well, new info. Th- the only possible new info was that Kyla was, was going to file an appeal. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been any – because we did an update in, I think, in December 2021. So there's nothing new since that. I think he filed it in June 2021 or was going to file it in June 2021. So nothing has happened. No, no, no updates. Yeah. The next one we did was Long Island Serial Killer. Um, there was a big update in this recently in May 2022. Shannon Gilbert, she was always kind of believed to possibly be one of the Long Island Serial Killer's victims. There's like debate on that, but I guess that's kind of part of the update. But the 911 call was always like this big secret that they like wouldn't release for some reason. It's over 20 minutes long. And people fought to get it released, and it finally was. Um, It's over 20 minutes long. I'll put in some clips of it, but the whole thing will be on the blog. This info comes from NBC New York, and it describes her demeanor during the call. Um, They said, Suffolk County law enforcement acknowledged she was at times coherent. At others, she appeared disoriented. She didn't respond at some moments and screamed at others. There's also a transcript of it. Um, I listened to the call. It's like... It is interesting, but it's a lot of background noise. Like background noise. You can hear Shannon. She's talking to a guy named Michael, who was her driver, who would drive her. If you don't remember, Shannon was an escort and the driver would drive her to like her calls. And you tell she's freaking out. She keeps like asking them why. You can hear her asking, like, is this a setup? And she keeps ignoring the 911 operators. Like, I don't know if the phone's in her pocket or something, but she does talk to them here and there. And she says, like, these, they're going to kill me. These guys are going to kill me. State Police, Trooper Fry. State Police. Yeah, there's somebody after me. I'm sorry? There's somebody after me. Where are you? There's somebody after me. Okay, where are you? There's somebody after me. Where are you, ma'am? I don't know. You're driving right now? No, I'm inside the house. I'm sorry? I'm inside the house. What house? I don't know. Can you trace where I am? I'm sorry? Can you trace where I am? No, I can't. What's your callback number you're calling from? Huh? What phone number are you calling from? Somebody's asking me. 
please. Are you in Suffolk County or Nassau County? Um, I'm in Long Island. Where on Long Island are you? Okay, what's supposed to be? No. 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 No, stop, no. Where in Long Island are you? In Suffolk County? Nassau County? Huh? Why? Why are you calling me by my name? Why? County, you on the line? Stop. Please. Stop it, please. Please, stop. Please, can you shut the door? No, time to go. Please. 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 Go that way, please. Come on, let's go. Come on, we're going outside. Let's go outside. Come on, let's go. Come on, we're going outside. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. No, please. Come on. Please, come on. Please. Come on. Why? Why? And then at the end of the call, you hear her running around because apparently, like, it was said that she was running around, like, banging on random doors and stuff. So you can hear her banging on the doors. Sherry Gilbert, she has a theory about what happened to Shan. She said she believes someone found her sister after she tried to get help at the house of the woman who made the third 911 call and potentially drugged her to calm her down since she had become so hysterical. Um, she believes that her sister died after that, an accident, and that someone took her body and dumped it into the marsh, scattering her belongings along the way to make it appear like she wandered there. Um, the sister said, if you notice on the map, when you see where her remains were from where her clothes are, they're in two different locations. So I feel like they took her remains and put her there from the roadside and then went back to put her clothing on the opposite side. I don't believe that my sister would run. And the police also deemed that her death was an accident and not a homicide. So, yeah, that's interesting. Like, the call is interesting. I don't know I don't know why they withheld it for so long. It doesn't seem like there's anything they were, particularly mind-blowing released in the call. Um, I remember there was, like, people, like, attorneys and stuff, like, when you hear the call, you'll be shocked. Yeah. Like, I think it's just because she was like, these guys are going to kill me, these guys are going to kill me, but she's clearly, like, like semi, like, incoherent or just – and you can I hear like them in always- the background, too. I feel like we always knew that was kind of what she was saying anyway. Like she was running from house to house trying to get help because she thought people were after her. It's not like what was in the 911 call was totally unexpected. It feels yeah. like that was kind of the story the whole time. And the two I remember the two men she was with, um, the driver and the driver and the person whose house they were at, um, they both said that she just like suddenly started like freaking out and became really paranoid. I don't really know what to make of it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she was murdered, but also wouldn't be surprised if it was an accident. Because in the call, you do hear for a long time, she's, like, running around. And as she ran into the marsh by accident, got lost, got stuck. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I agree. It could go either way. 
So now you can get 30% off your first order when you go to dailygem.co slash society. That's dailygem.co slash society to get 30% off your first order. That's dailygem.co slash society for 30% off your first order. Such a good deal. So as we mentioned, we won't go into Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell's case. It's still ongoing. Their trials haven't happened. Hoping they will happen soon. <laughs> Another one that's dragging on forever. But once things do start kind of ramping up, we'll give a proper update episode because that one will need one. The next one we're going to speak about is the murder of Canadian billionaires Honey and Barry Sherman. They were murdered in their mansion in December 2017 and nobody has ever been arrested and charged with their murders, um, which is crazy because you'd think (laughs) there should be enough evidence and CCTV and different things like that. But yeah, so we're coming up on nearly five years since they were murdered. The unsolved double homicide of a billionaire Canadian couple still seems to have more questions than answers two years on. It was December 15, 2017. Honey and Barry Sherman were discovered murdered in their Toronto home. Found in a seated position, side by side, strangled to death on the deck of their indoor swimming pool. We did not observe any signs of uh, forced entry to the, to the building. Um, and so uh, at this point, Uh, indications are that we have no outstanding suspect to uh, be going after. Fast forward two years later. 150 items have been submitted to the Centre of Forensic Sciences for testing. 243 witnesses have been interviewed. Four terabytes of security video has been obtained. 205 tips have been provided directly to the police from the public. 343 tips have been provided so far to the police via the private investigative team. 701 investigative actions have been assigned, but we are still asking for help. And we were hoping that there would be some more documents released, but the most recent update in this case is from April 27th, 2022. The headline says, a judge rules Barry and Honey Sherman murder case is too sensitive to release more case documents. This information is from thestar.com. Justice Leslie Pringle said she is concerned that releasing additional police witness statements and theories of the case would impact the integrity of the ongoing police investigation. And she's also said that she's concerned that to release more information would, quote, prejudice the interests of innocent persons, but she didn't go into who these people are. She has previously allowed large, you know, I guess, portions of information to be released, but now she's saying that basically there's nothing else that they can release currently with the investigation. She said, while old, this case is unfortunately still in the investigative phase. Charges have not been laid and it is necessary and in the public interest for the police to continue their investigation if perpetrators are to be brought to justice. So kind of a non-update, I guess, just, you know, confirmation that we're actually not really going to hear much more. Yeah, and it's annoying that there's a lot of information that is withheld from the public just because the Shermans were very rich. He owned a huge pharmaceutical company, so it seems like they're trying to protect other people who were connected to him, um, as well as the children said that they were worried about, like, certain information about money and getting out. Um, I feel like there's no way, based on this too, that this was a random murder I feel like this has to be either a business or a family connection yeah um definitely keeping it very close to their chest for it to be a random murderer 
and we talked about this in a past episode, but like I think what last year they released like footage of someone walking that they think yeah. did it. He kind of had a limp. It's we'll put the there's the clips in the blog, and we'll make a blog like linking them or something. Yeah, I think we mentioned that in our last update episode, which I think was in December. We spoke about that, but um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a video the of someone, yeah, but that's really all the the biggest like who could it be? Yeah. So then next we have Corinna Slusser. She was the blonde cheerleader who people believed that she was sex trafficked. She's been missing since 2017. Um, there's really been no updates on that. She still hasn't been found. Nothing new to report there. The only kind of update is that there has been a, a an episode of a show called Missing dedicated to Corinna. I believe it's on ABC. Like there's a few headlines. It says Missing investigates Corinna Slusser's journey from cheerleader to sex trafficking victim. So yeah. uh, not an update, but her case, that was a, as of two weeks ago. So her case is still getting some media coverage, which is good. Yeah, that's. That's one of those like random cases that just like I always just randomly think about, randomly check on. I don't know why that one's always like stuck close to me. Yeah. Next, we got Tyler Davis and Chance Engelbert. They're both men that kind of went missing under mysterious circumstances after they separately after they walked off from the groups that they were with. Uh, Still no updates on either of them. They are both still missing. Both been missing since 2019. Um, Tyler was declared dead in December 2021. I'm assuming so his partner can, you know, move on with his estate issues. But, yeah, both still missing. Um, There were some remains that we spoke about earlier this year that we thought may have been chance, but I think they've turned out to not belong to him. So, yeah, still missing. No real updates for those two men. Emery Connery, she is the one. She was in a car with her cousin Cousin. and... They're coming back from a night out, like a birthday celebration, and seems for some reason he shot her, then killed himself, crashed the car. His name was Bailey Smith. Bailey Smith. He was a police officer. Seems like one that the town wanted under wraps, and I feel like there will never be another update unless like something big happens or someone decides to talk about what happened. The last articles, there was one article in 2020, and then the rest of the articles were 2019, so... I think this one is absolutely buried unless someone comes forward with some other information. But it's one that everyone will always be suspicious about because, like, why did one cousin murder the other cousin? Yeah. For seemingly no reason, after partying, drinking, while driving. Very weird. I definitely recommend that episode. I always think about that case. I just, it's just weird to me. The whole thing's strange. Yeah, that's a, it's a good episode. It's a very interesting story. Next is Holly Bobo. That one, no new info. Another one that's kind of older, so I don't think there will be much new info. I think everything court-wise court is... proceeding or something like that. But yeah, no yeah. new real info. 2020, 2021 were the last articles. She went missing in April 2011 from her home in Tennessee, and she was eventually found murdered. So there's a lot of really creepy people in her case if you want to check out her episode. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. Um, a bunch of guys were allegedly involved meth involved and Hallie just seemed like a nice girl who was just kind of like in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of and she was kidnapped I always remember that she was kidnapped by like a man wearing camouflage clothing and like it was just so creepy like makes my hair stand up yeah took her out into the woods so the next one is another case that was really big for us, and that's the murder of the Tote family by Tony Tote, who was the father. Um, he murdered his wife, Megan, and their 
three children, Alec, Tyler, and Zoe, as well as the family dog, Breezy. So we followed this case very closely as it happened in real time. Like we followed it when they were still missing and no one knew where they were. So I recommend checking out that episode if you haven't, just to get the background. But in April 2022, Tony was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder and one count of animal children. animal cruelty Um, the circuit judge Keith Carsten gave Tony four life sentences without the possibility of parole and called him a destroyer of worlds you were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole 46 year old Anthony Tote guilty on four felony life counts for the murder of his wife and three young children the jury only deliberating a few hours before turning in the guilty verdicts Tote was seen shaking his head as the judge read aloud his convictions. The aunt of Tote's wife and godmother to their three children spoke to the judge moments before he issued his sentencing. While mentioning Tote's controlling behavior, she made it clear she wanted to highlight what a great niece and mother Megan was. Megan was the gentlest person. She wouldn't even kill a bird, and she was just so kind, full of empathy. Tony crushed his whole family by doing this. There, everybody was mortified. We we had a tough time dealing with it. The jury found Tote guilty of murder in the first degree after prosecutors say he killed his wife, their three children, and the family's dog inside their celebration home in 2019. He lived with the bodies for weeks before investigators made the grisly discovery. In an interview with detectives right after the murders, Tote admitted he did it. But on the stand during the trial, he claimed his wife killed the children and then stabbed herself to death. It was the most horrible day of my life. And what I mean more horrible is my wife died in front of me also. Tote denying his involvement until the very end. I don't remember that time from the time I fell down the stairs to the time I woke up in the jail. I did not do this. Just one week, though, after that, Tony appealed. He said this was a personal catastrophe in everybody's life in my family, including myself. He wrote, I, he said, I maintain my innocence. He also went on to big note himself and said, I provided for my wife, did everything I could for my wife. She was progressively sick over the years. There were days which were worse, days which were better. She was kept on a pedestal from me. My kids kept. I did everything from them, for them, sorry. So he, what, he, part of his kind of, I guess, defense was that he, he didn't, was it that his wife murdered everyone and he kind of took the fall for it? His defense theory was that um, his wife, she had like some sort of chronic illness or she was in a lot of pain. She was super miserable and got into kind of some sort of religious ideation type shit and that they decided to have um, a murder-suicide pact that they were going to kill the kids together and then both die. And this was like her plan. She killed the kids and then he killed or then she killed herself, but then he tried to kill tried himself with Benadryl and failed. There's a lot of Benadryl involved. The kids were drugged, but they were also stabbed. Um, but yeah, he what, tried to blame her for everything. Yeah. And the jury because didn't buy she it. Was, because she was dead and couldn't you know, have anything to say Defend for herself. herself. 
So um, there hasn't been anything else since that about his appeal. You know, I'm sure he will keep going with that, you know, as time goes on. But that was the latest with the Tote family. And there's a lot of, um, like, I know I posted them to our Instagram story, but um, I could find, I'll find it to post. But some of the reporters that were in the courtroom, they like tweeted tons of stuff, like quotes, like minute updates. And it's really interesting to go through like some of the things that he was saying about their life and all that. So I'll find those again, the screenshots I took and we'll post them. Um, Mostly harmless. We all know him as the mysterious yes. hiker whose body was found along the Appalachian Trail. He had no ID, nothing to identify him. He always used um, his trail name, mostly harmless. He had some cash on him. He was like 80 pounds or something, very underweight. And tons of people knew him as in they recognized him, but they all knew him as just mostly harmless or other fake trail names. So it's a big quest to identify him. Um, he was identified, and that's that. Yeah, he was identified as Vance Rodriguez, and I think at the time we mentioned that this was a case where the kind of reality was disappointing. He didn't seem to be a great guy. was quite abusive to his partners. Um, anyway, so I think once the reality was discovered, the case just kind of died away a little bit. Yeah. So the next one is the case of Michael Shaver. This was um, about a man in Florida who was found buried under his own fire pit in his backyard. Um, This has been going on for years and years and years. Like there's been no movement in the case. The main kind of suspect is his wife, Laurie Shaver. So Laurie has been charged with second-degree murder um, in Michael's case, but for some reason her trial hasn't started. She posted bail. She's out. She's been very... Lately, she's got a public social media um, under her married name, Laurie Filmer. <laughs> Just give it out to everyone, <laughs> Laurie Filmer. Um, she makes posts like this. She made a post the other day, hate no one, no matter how much they've wronged you. Live humbly, no matter how wealthy you become. Think positively, no matter how hard life is. Give much, even if you've been given little. Forgive all, especially yourself, and never stop praying for the best for everyone. So <clears throat> I was a little bit hopeful that something was actually happened something was actually happening because someone sent us the court documents for Laurie and she was due in court in May and at the end of May and in June. She's actually due again on the 13th of June. And I was like, wow, it's actually happening because it says things like plea negotiation, felony sentencing. So I was like, wow, that's really happening. But someone commented and said, his sister previously stated that this is just part of the normal procedure. I don't even know if she appears in person, but she and her attorney decline it every time. So when you look at this court docket, there's probably 20 court appearances or you know court sessions scheduled for her for this year alone so I feel like that is probably what happens she's just stalling and stalling and nothing is actually happening yeah this one's been going on for a long time too oh my gosh a long time Michael died in 2015 so yeah a very long time it seems like she's just out and about out and about living her best life on social media with the kids and yeah I don't know what will happen yeah So the next episode that we did was um, Alan White. At the time when we did his case, he was missing. He went missing in 2020 in October from near Dallas, Texas. Um, His car was found not too long after. He remained missing for a fair amount of time, but his body was eventually found. Um, There's been nothing. There's been... I think his body was found in around... I think it was around May 2021, April or May, and basically there's been nothing. There's been no cause of death. There's been 
no real movement publicly in his case. We don't know how he died. We don't know anything else. There was a reward posted in October 2021, but that's it. No no other movement in Alan's case. Been waiting for that one too. Mm. The next one is Crystal Rogers. Crystal went missing from Bardsville, Tennessee in 2015. The main suspect in her case is, not surprisingly, her partner, Brooks Houck. She's still missing. The search for her is still going on. The FBI is involved. Again, though, nothing new since 2021, so no real updates for her. Um, The next one is Jennifer Dulos. Jennifer is thought to have been murdered by her husband, Fotis Dulos. He ended up taking his own life before he could face trial. It's believed that Fotis may have been assisted by his girlfriend at the time named Michelle Traconis. Michelle's been in the media sporadically. She is still alive. Like we said, Fotis killed himself before he could really face any of the consequences. Jennifer still has not been found. She's been missing for three years now. And this happened in Greenwich, Connecticut. So again, very wealthy, well-off area. Today, the big question is back in focus. What happened to Jennifer Farber-Dulos? In a new statement, a spokesperson for her family writing, quote, We miss Jennifer more than words can express, and we are thankful for the continuing support. In Jennifer's memory, we ask that you hold your loved ones extra close and make time to laugh with friends. You thought of everything to make it perfect. Loved ones and neighbors keeping Jennifer's memory alive for three years now. An amazing mother and daughter and and wife. The 50-year-old mother of five vanished May 24, 2019 after dropping her kids off at school in New Canaan. Her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos, was charged with murder in January 2020. Fotis denied having anything to do with his wife's death. Weeks after being charged, he died following a suicide attempt. Jennifer's body has still not been found. Her disappearance came amid a contentious divorce and child custody battle. That one case has made such an impact. Last year, the governor signed Jennifer's Law, in part named after Jennifer Dulos. That law expands the definition of domestic violence to include abuses like isolation, intimidation, stalking, and financial control, putting more power in the hands of victims that they did not have before. In March 2002, Michelle Traconis' attorney, Fotis' girlfriend, asked a judge to force prosecutors to hand over evidence to him. This info is from CT Insider. This attorney, John Schoenhorn, contends that he has not received DNA and digital evidence that he has requested for months and says it is affecting his defense preparation for his client who has pleaded not guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and other charges in the 2019 death of the new Canaan mother of five. So yeah, even though they haven't found her, she's been presumed dead because of evidence that they found in blood, etc. Um, in the motion, Schoenhorn said he... It's also missing documents and evidence gathered during a federal Department of Homeland Security investigation of Fotis Dulos, who died by suicide in January 2020 while facing murder charges and other charges in his estranged wife's death. He also claimed in the filing that New Canaan police investigating the death of Jennifer Dulos knew about the federal investigation into Fotis Dulos and his connection to, quote, certain Greek nationals who may have been involved in the crime, but failed to inform the state's attorney prosecuting the case. Um, that same month, Michelle also asked the court to remove her GPS monitor that she'd been forced to wear as part of her bond, and they denied that. And I said Greenwich, but I guess it's technically New Canaan. It's all kind of similar area. area. Yeah. Um, that's another, another one that's dragging on. Case. 
Yeah, another one that's dragging on for a long time. Yeah, and it's crazy they still haven't found her. Um, sad story. The next one is another pretty big case that we followed. It's the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew. Susan went missing in May 2020. Her body hasn't been recovered yet. Um, probably, I think it's fair to say the main suspect is her husband, Barry Morphew. He was arrested um, and was kind of the proceedings had started against him. But on April 19, 2022, the case against him was dropped. He'd been due to stand um, trial for Suzanne's murder. The Fremont County District Judge Ramsey Lama granted a motion filed by prosecutors to drop the case without prejudice, which means that they could cha- uh, file charges against Barry at a later date. I did read at the time that they apparently believed they knew where Suzanne's body may be, so they dropped it until they could find her remains, but they haven't found them yet. So I wonder, like they said that there was, they'd face setbacks because of the weather and the snow. I wonder if that would still be the same in June I don't know I feel like surely there shouldn't be that much snow left by now I don't know what I don't know anything though (laughs) so it'll be interesting to see if they do find it yeah I'm not sure what it's like in Colorado Colorado it says a weird weather place it says that the area was blanketed with five feet of snow um and it says as a result they cannot safely excavate the area so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming if, you know, surely it should start, start to happen soon if they are able to get there. Yeah. Um, Barry's attorney, Iris Aiton, said that she does not think though prosecutors will refile the case, even if they do get Suzanne's body, because Barry is innocent. He's not mm-hmm. going to be charged ever again. It's over. So Barry and his daughters spoke to the media recently too. We'll put a clip in here. But basically the daughters are sticking by Barry Um I don't know. I could have a lot to say about that. But you know what? I guess they've lost one parent. They probably don't want to lose the other parent. I see this happen quite a lot in cases where the husband kills the wife. Um, The remaining children stick by the father because essentially if they don't, they're going to have no one. Yeah, it's kind of like ignorance is bliss where. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if they. Not to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in this case where we all know probably what happened, but, you know, I guess he's out of jail now. So they can keep going on with that. We've been silent for a long time, and we've decided that we finally want to break the silence. This morning, just days before the second anniversary of her disappearance, the family of Suzanne Morphew is speaking out for the first time since the murder charges against her husband were dropped. It's been an emotional roller coaster, but we feel like we can finally take our first steps in healing, which is a blessing. And, yeah, we know... We just know our dad better than anyone else, and we know he was not involved in our mom's disappearance. Mallory and Macy Morphew, standing by their father, who investigators believed was responsible for their mother's disappearance two years ago. The three, seen walking out of court arm in arm just moments after the charges against him were dropped. We want to heal. We feel like we haven't been able to heal these past two years. The family says Suzanne left her Colorado home for a bike ride, but never returned. I just love my girls, and I love my wife, and I just want her to be found. But investigators told a different story, arresting Barry Morphew, the charges ranging from first-degree murder to tampering with physical evidence. Prosecutors argued that Morphew discovered his wife was having an affair, then murdered her, disposed of her body, and staged a bike crash in a rural area. Releasing this body camera footage from the hours after she was reported missing, police saying Morphew touched evidence. Hey, could you not touch the bike with your hands, please? Morphew's daughters say he isn't a killer and are celebrating the dismissal of the case. 
One other little update in that case is that the lawyer or the attorney who prosecuted Barry um, has had her law license suspended, um, basically just because she failed to complete required legal training. So it seems like a bit of a mess. But anyway. uh, yeah. Next, we've got a few non-update episodes. They're all kind of older. Um, Chris Benoit, Philip Adams. Those are the CTE cases. Nothing new there. Russell Hill and Carol Clay. Nothing new there. We the kind did talk of about court, some updates. Yeah. The court proceedings for the man who's been accused of killing them is still ongoing. It's, there's nothing really to mention since the last big update we gave. Yeah. And they're, they're the Australian case of the two senior citizens who went camping and were murdered and then their campfire was burned down. Yeah. Um, Jenna Van Geldren, Terrence Woods, and Snea Ann Phillip, they were all in our mysterious disappearance episodes. Um, there is no new info and they're all still missing. Next then is Josh Duggar. I think we all know who Josh Duggar is from, uh, 19 Kids and Counting and all that. He was arrested for child pornography. So in May, 2022, Josh was sentenced to 151 months in prison without the possibility of parole. The sentences were receiving and possessing child pornography. He had been facing up to 20 years in jail. Um, 151 months is around 12, 13 years that he actually got. He'll also face another 20 years of restrictions following his release. Um, Josh's attorney asked for mercy before the sentencing. He said, Duggar accepts that he is before this court for sentencing and that this court must impose a penalty. This is justice, but Duggar also appeals to the court's discretion to temper that justice with mercy. Some Duggar family members have spoken out after the sentencing. Jason Duggar, his brother, said, In my opinion, Judge Timothy L. Brooks was fair in his ruling, giving Josh a sentence that would be considered below the median for the crimes he has committed. Uh, my heart is grieving over the choices my brother has made. Um, a lot of the siblings kind of made similar statements. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I know that Josh does have a few supporters in the family, but generally I feel like the majority are saying that this, you know, he needed Most of the- to be punished. Most of the statements are saying like that justice, that they're happy that some justice was served, but yeah, none of them are like, yeah, fuck you, Josh, either. They're all just like kind his, of middle of the road. His sister, Jill, like she made a really long statement. I won't read it all, but she said, hopefully Josh can actually begin to get treatment and begin to work toward a lifestyle where he's less likely to re-offend. So. <laughs> yeah. Very like PR statements. Yeah. Um, I know once he does get out of prison eventually he won't be able to be alone with his children he won't be able to watch pornography he won't be able to do things like that he has to have supervised visit with his kids like they'll never be able to live with him again so that's all good anna duggar as of now his wife is sticking by his side i'm sure they'll try to appeal or something so there's finally an update in the case of Christy Evans, which I've been looking for forever because I'm pretty sure the update was actually due in July 2021. Um, Christy apparently or allegedly murdered her husband, David Evans, in March 2021. This was kind of a weird one where there was some weird sex stuff going on and Christy alleges abuse against David. What's going on? <laughs> Christy Evans frantically calling Ada police on March 22nd of 2021. The 48-year-old's husband, David Evans, murdered in their home. At first, Christy told investigators she woke up and found the pastor of Harmony Free Will Baptist Church had been shot. His teeth are out of his mouth and nose and stuff, and there's a hole in the top of his head. 
days later while turning herself in, Christy confessing she and her lover, Khalil Square, were behind the deadly plot. The three of them, Christy, Khalil, and David, um, had a sexual relationship. Um, Christy and Khalil also had a separate sexual relationship, just the two of them. Investigators say Christy and Square cooked up the plan while David was away on a mission trip. They say Christy gave the 26-year-old one of David's guns and a box of bullets. Minutes after her husband of three decades was killed, Christy, quote, sat on her side of the bed and called for help. Do you see a gun anywhere around him? <laughs> According to a new NBC report, Christie's attorney says her client, quote, understands there has to be accountability for her actions and she's prepared to serve whatever sentence is handed down. But at the same time, quote, she wants the court and the public to know the reasons behind her actions. Agents say David would often call Christie names like fat and ugly. What she told agents was that he was verbally abusive and controlling of her. Christie's attorney says her client, quote, at least now has some control and say so in her life that she didn't have before, as twisted as that may sound. The District 22 Assistant District Attorney, Tara Portillo, spoke to Law and Crime and said there was no plea agreement for Christie, but she did plead guilty to murdering David. A sentencing is scheduled for August 9 and 10. They will not seek the death penalty, but will request a sentence of life without parole. So, just as a little bit more backstory, Christy was having an affair with a man that David had kind of introduced her to. I think they'd had a threesome at some point, but she got this man to shoot and kill David at their home and pretended that it was an unknown intruder who committed the crime. Um, Christy's attorney, Joy Miskell, spoke to NBC and said that Christy is ready for whatever sentence she gets, but she said at the same time she wants the court and the public to know the reasons behind her actions. Hmm. Yes. So there has actually been a little bit of movement in the next episode that we talked about, which is the sex cult Nexium. Um, we, it's, it's hard to describe what actually happened, but basically they kind of um, coerced young women to participate in sex acts and, um, you know, under the guise it started of Started as like a MLM basically. Yes, yes. Like go and listen to the episode because it's a lot really. But <laughs> This, the leader of the cult, it's called the Nexium Sex Cult leader, Keith Rainier, is asking for a new trial on grounds the FBI allegedly tampered with a photo of a nude woman. Basically, they've said that um, the FBI changed the date of a photo of a woman that Keith had to make it seem as if it was taken in 2005, which she would have been underage at that time. But he is alleging that that's not right. The photo was actually taken later. His attorney said, there is evidence that computer data related to digital photos taken of a nude female were materially altered to make it appear that these photographs were taken in 2005. Um, Keith is also suing the prison where he's being held. He's alleging that prison officials cut short phone conversations that he had with his attorneys and that they've also stopped him from meeting with one of his supporters who called Sunil Chakravorty. Keith has said that Sunil has power of attorney for him. And it's been a really busy time for Keith because on May 3rd, 2022, both he and another Nexium member, Claire Brumpfen, appealed their sentences. Um, I can't actually find much more information. Let me just double check because there's nothing since that happened. Yeah, so they were due to appeal in early May. I can't find anything on if the appeal was successful. I'm assuming this is probably going to be a legal process that is ongoing for a little while. So once we hear any more about that, we will let you know. But still in the media, definitely. It's like, just go away, Keith. <laughs> so annoying. Um, next is Gabby and Brian, which seems like it will never end. Um, 
the mess between the Petito and Laundry families ongoing in March 2022. And just, I don't think I need to give a background on Gabby Petito and Brian. I feel like we all know it. <laughs> um, in March 2022, the Petito Schmidt family, that's Gabby's family, launched their first lawsuit against the Laundry family. The lawsuit alleges that the Laundry parents knew that Brian murdered Gabby and they were working to help him leave the country. Um, the suit alleges while Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt, those are Gabby's parents, were desperately searching for information concerning their daughter, Christopher Laundry and Roberta Laundry, Brian's parents, were keeping the whereabouts of Brian Laundrie's secret, and it is believed were making arrangements for him to leave the country. The lawsuit says Gabby called members of her family almost daily. Um, Schmidt, her mother, last communicated with her daughter on August 27th, the lawsuit says. Her parents believe that that was the day she was killed, citing a text message that was sent from Gabby's phone later that day where her grandfather was referred to as Stan, something their daughter Gabby would have never done. You know, she probably would have called him grandpa or something. Yeah. Um, the lawsuit alleges Brian sent that text. The lawsuit also claims that on August 30th, Brian, pretending to be Gabby, sent a text message to Nicole Schmidt, her mom, that there's no service in Yosemite Park. The family believes this was done to make her believe that Gabby was still alive. Um, the lawsuit says Christopher Laundrie and Roberta Laundrie knew of the mental suffering and anguish of Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt, and they knew that they could alleviate, at least in part, such mental suffering and anguish by disclosing what they knew about the well-being and location of the remains of Gabby Petito. In doing so, Christopher Laundrie and Roberta Laundrie acted with malice or great indifference to the rights of Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt. Um, the lawsuit alleges that around September 10th, Roberta Laundrie blocked Nicole from calling or texting her cell phone and also blocked her on Facebook, which is suspicious to me. Hmm. Gabby's mother has also taken out a second suit against the Laundrie family. She is asking for compensation for Gabby's wrongful death. Um, that lawsuit says, as a direct and proximate consequence of Brian Laundrie's conduct, Nicole Schmidt and Joseph Petito incurred funeral and burial expenses. They have suffered a loss of care and comfort and have suffered a loss of probable future companionship and comfort. Nicole's asking for a jury trial, and although the lawsuit does not state a specific monetary amount, it does ask for damages which exceed $30,000. The Laundrie's family attorney, who we know to be the worst at giving statements, he continues to be the worst. Um, he put out a statement that no one asked for. It says, The filing of the wrongful death lawsuit by the Petito family was fully expected. This lawsuit will most likely not be defended, and the Petitos will have gained nothing more than a piece of paper that tells them what everyone already knows, which is that Brian was responsible for Gabby's death, as indicated by the FBI. Lifetime has also announced that they'll be making a movie about Gabby and Brian. The working title of the program is The Gabby Petito Story. It is directed by and features uh, Thora Birch. The film is apparently part of Lifetime's Stop Violence Against Women Public Affairs Initiative. Thora will apparently play Nicole Schmidt. Um, and there was a statement or like a release by the Aware Foundation that says Gabby's family were not consulted about this going ahead seems pretty gross so the next one that we'll have to have a full episode for is the murdoch family it's still ongoing the kind of latest is that they may be exhuming the housekeeper's body um basically this case is about alex murdoch has maybe murdered his wife and son he's so shady like 
I can't even begin to give a cliff's note on this one. It's just there's a lot going on. We'll do a whole episode on that case soon. Uh, the next one is about Jelani Day. Jelani went missing in Illinois in 2021 and his body was found in the Illinois River a few weeks later. His cause of death was ruled as a drowning, but his family are adamant that he didn't take his life or drown accidentally. There hasn't really been many updates about the actual case. I can't find anything about the additional autopsies that they carried out, but the Jelani Day bill has been signed into law. And um, this info is from mywabashvalley.com. It says the bill requires Illinois coroners to, to notify and consult the FBI if they are unable to identify a body within 72 hours. So Jelani's mother had to wait a lot longer than that um, for Jelani to be identified and for her to be notified. She said, it's important to me that this bill is enacted. It's important that this has become a law and it's important that it's recognised as the Jelani Day Bill. The only other kind of small update in the case is that they haven't been able to access the information in Jelani's phone. Apparently, he had an, I-12, uh, an iPhone 12 Max, but the FBI only has software available for up to the iPhone 11. So that's yeah. very interesting. On hold. And just one other little sad note in his case is that Jelani's father died in April 2022 after a battle with cancer. Um, the obituary says, Steve married Carmen Bolden in 1992 and from that union they had five amazing children. Losing Jelani tra- tragically seven months ago was something that Steve never really recovered from. Now that they are reun- reunited in heaven brings us just a bit of comfort. So it's been a very sad year for that family. Yeah. Next is Daniel Robinson. He was always kind of paired with Jelani as they went missing around the same time. Um, he went missing from his job site in Buckeye, Arizona. They found his car crash. The stories that he just wandered off into the desert. Weird texts with the girl that he kind of met. A lot going on. Another good episode to check out. They're all good episodes to check out, so I guess I should stop saying <laughs> that. But um, Only updates with that. He's still missing. His father has been the most vocal in the case he's always out in arizona searching for him to date they found three sets of human remains while searching for daniel none of them are him um in april 2022 david announced that his searches for daniel will be temporarily paused he said this will allow for refinement restructuring and improved operations gofundme raised over two hundred fifty thousand dollars to assist in the search for daniel but david says they have gone through all this money they said they used the money to allow him to remain in arizona He's also hired a private detective, a collision expert, and rented technology to search for Daniel. He said, everybody made that possible for me to remain here. We started off with 200 people coming out here to search with me. That number's dramatically dropped. I'll be lucky to have 20. I'm so grateful for all of them. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be almost a year since he disappeared. So the next episode that we did was about Cleo Smith. Cleo was abducted from the family's tent while she was camping in Western Australia in October 2021. She was found alive 18 days later, which blew all our minds. Um, A man named Terence Kelly has been charged in relation to her case. If you recall, he was the man who kind of had the obsession with the Bratz dolls. Mm. There was an update in this case from April 27th, 2022. Terence was charged with 10 counts of possessing child exploitation material. The Allegations for these charges are not connected to Cleo. In January this year, Terence pled guilty to forcibly taking a child under the age of 16. He faces a sentence of up to 20 years in jail. There haven't been any updates in his sentencing or his kind of court proceedings. So as soon as there are, we will update. Yeah, the child pornography definitely makes you like, ugh, though. Yeah. 
Um, so the next episode um, that we did was Astro World, where 10 people were killed at the Travis Scott Astro World Festival in November 2021. Travis lay very low for a long time, but he's slowly been making his way back into life and has started posting on social media again. Not really news, but, you know, he's trying, I guess, to move on with things. Mm. There have been lots more lawsuits still being filed. Um, There was a court filing from May 2022 that said almost 2,400 people needed medical treatment and that there was also another lawsuit from a woman named Shanazia Williamson and that she is alleging that she suffered a miscarriage while at the festival because she was trampled and crushed and that she had horrific injuries. It says that she sustained injuries to her shoulder, back, leg, chest, stomach and other parts of her body. In Texas, where she filed the suit, a fetus can be included in a wrongful death claim. It doesn't matter how far along the mother was in the pregnancy. Uh, The next one we did was Summer Wells. This was another big case. She was five years old when she vanished from her home in Beach Creek, Tennessee, on June 15th, 2021. Pretty soon it'll be a year since she vanished. Um, It seems to be like there's no resolution site. The main update in this case is that her father, Don, is in jail. In March, he was sentenced to jail time for a DUI arrest that happened in October because it was a violation of his probation. The judge gave him 11 months and 29 days in Hawkins County Jail, and he may be eligible for early release um, in the courtroom, Don passed News Channel 11's Bianca Marias a note that read, thanks to everyone for all the positive support. It's been very difficult. Again, just trying to be a nice guy. I did see too that there were some human remains found that people were speculating online, maybe some are, but I am 99% sure those remains are of an adult male, so not related to her. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up this episode here. Obviously, Um, We still got more updates to go, so we're going to split this one into two episodes. So the updates from this point until our current episodes are going to come in the next episode next week. So, you know, we've got cases like we've got Delphi, we've got, um, I don't know what else, (laughs) we've got Ethan Crumbly. Um, Lots of missing person updates. Lauren Smithfields, Kyron, Turpin, Sherry Papini. And a whole, so... If you guys don't remember all those, brush up on them for next week. (laughs) Um, But I feel like they'll be fresh in people's minds because they're newer ones. But yeah. anyway, so we'll go over all those next week. Um, As always, everything we talked about will be on our blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram, truecrimesociety. That's where we post the most. Um, Our personal accounts are stephsum underscore tcslivia. And rate, review, share, subscribe, all those things. You guys know what to do. Um, I won't drag this out forever like always. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Peace out. See ya.